by another show of hands, uh, who here plays a musical instrument? Any type of instrument, keys, guitar, amazing, keep them lifted high. Uh, Kevin Root, you're welcome. All of these folks have just signed up for the music team. Um, so glad you're here. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, I, w- I wouldn't call myself a musician by any stretch, but I did, believe it or not, learn how to play guitar in seventh grade. And uh, as a skinny, awkward 13-year-old boy at that point in my life, my highest ambition was to become the next Stevie Ray Vaughan or Jimi Hendrix. Uh, Can I get a witness, any Guitar Hero fans? Uh, That's like where I thought I was going in life. And uh, the verdict's still out. Uh, Time will tell. Um, But I learned how to play guitar because there was a worship leader at our church, Drew Thomas, who was very patient with me, and and he decided to teach me, take me under his wing and show me how to play guitar. And uh, instead of, you know, shredding uh, Strato Fendicaster like the way that Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray Vaughan did, uh, he taught me something much more simple and humble, which was an acoustic guitar. And we started real simple, just a nice down strum just like that. And uh, not only was I socially awkward, I was tragically born white. So this was very difficult for me uh, because I was socially awkward white and left-handed. So just keeping a simple downbeat was real difficult for this guy at age 13. But uh, Drew was very, very patient with me. And we moved on to more complicated patterns. Down, up, down. Wild. Absolutely wild. And then we did more of a like down, up, down, 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 down, until eventually I was able to do this. There we go. All right, now you know why I am not on the music team. Uh, We'll leave it to Kevin and company. Um, I, uh, spoiler alert, did not become the next August Rush or Eric Clapton, but I did learn through the process of playing guitar the importance of rhythm. Uh, You can know all the right words. You can know all the right chords. You can even have a pretty decent voice, but if the rhythm isn't right, the song will not be right either. I think many of us realize that this is the case for us spiritually as well. Uh, We can know all the right Bible verses. We can attend all the right church services. We can even have the right intention to love God and live a godly life. And yet, if we refuse because we're unable or maybe unwilling to tap into the rhythms of his way of being human in this world, Sooner or later, our lives start to feel and sound and look a little awkward, a little discordant, a little out of cadence with the rhythm that God has made us for. If you're taking notes this morning, and I hope that you are, I want to preach a message to you entitled, Rhythms of Resistance. Rhythms of Resistance. Uh, The good news is that God has given us two rhythms that I want to chat a little bit about with you this morning that I think help us resist the counter-narrative, the counter-song, the counter-rhythm of our world and its ways. And it's the rhythms of Sabbath and fixed-hour prayer. 
Uh, just a moment ago, Laura, Lauren read several passages of scriptures for our benefit, Exodus 20, Daniel 6, and Luke chapter 5. Exodus 20, Daniel 6, and Luke chapter 5. We'll spend a brief word on each. Everybody good? All right, deep breath in, deep breath out. Let's do it. All right, Exodus 20 and the Sabbath. If you have your Bible, you can meet me in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book in your Bible. It's always good to bring a physical copy of God's word with you to church. And uh, Exodus 20 is a really, really important chapter because it occurs after the Exodus, uh, probably the biggest event in Israel's history where God rescued his people who were under bondage, under slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and they're promised the promised land, but in between slavery and the promised land, they're living in the wilderness. And so they gather before Mount Sinai and they see uh, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. And they hear God share these top 10 commands to his people through his servant, Moses. As they await the Ten Commandments that God gives Moses in Exodus chapter 20, we read about the fourth commandment in verse 8. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your great gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Sabbath is a massively important concept in the pages of the scripture in both the Old Testament and the New. Uh, in fact, the command to remember the Sabbath is the single most repeated command in all of the Torah. So the first five books of our Bible keep the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath, obey the Sabbath. That is the most often and frequently repeated commandment of them all. We know that it's important, yet because we don't live in ancient Israel, and most of us in the room this morning are not Jews, uh, Sabbath is kind of funny. It's such a foreign concept to our way of doing things. So it'd be helpful to just get a basic baseline definition of what the Sabbath actually is. Uh, the best definition I've come across is by a guy named John Mark Comer, and he defines Sabbath as a day of rest by which we cultivate a spirit of rest in all of life. Sabbath is nothing more and nothing less than a day of rest when we cultivate a spirit of rest in all of life. I don't need to read the statistics or tell the stories to you this morning to let you know what a profoundly restless culture we live in. Sleep disorders, mental health anxieties, addiction, burnout, workaholism, and the like. Uh, our culture is a virtual conspiracy against rest and uh, a recreation in God's presence. Go, 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 do, 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 shop, 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 uh, work, 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 serve, serve, serve. That is the way of the West. Uh, Ronald Rollheiser describes our restless state best in his book, The Holy Longing. He says, we are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. 
pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. My boy wrote that in 1999, by the way. What might he say today? And for us Christians in the room, our restlessness gets worse because we have uh, kind of the tendency to baptize our harried activity in the name of Jesus. <laughs> in the name of serving and advancing the mission of God, we are so quick to spiritualize our incessant impulse of doing over fear of being with God. If accomplishment, accumulation, and addiction to amusement won't get us religious activity, sure will. Not to pick on anyone today, but in the early days of Providence, I'm pretty sure our mantra was, die tired. <laughs> Anybody heard that? Um, and and I, don't, I don't wanna pick on that at all because someone will pick on us, you know, 10 years from now, the things that we miss and that we got wrong. And I think it, it, the intention came from such a good place, right? Like we wanna love our neighbor together. We wanna sacrifice our lives for the good of the city and give and serve and put the needs of others as more important than our own. Uh, the problem with that line of logic though, as Josh preached so well on just a couple weeks ago, is that when you live that way, uh, when you burn the candle at both ends for Jesus, guess what? You burn out. <laughs> you hit a wall. Not with, not, not uh, if, but when. Sooner or later, whether you write, like it or not, reality will break through. And that sort of frenetic behavior, ironically, is so opposite to the vision of life to the full that Jesus offered his earliest followers. A restless rhythm is the opposite of what Jesus has in mind for our lives. Uh, Eugene Peterson puts it this way in his paraphrase, the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. I love this, watch how I do things. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Anybody interested in that form of spirituality? I know I sure am. As a church community, we're reading Pete Scazzaro's excellent book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, as Ken just referenced a moment ago. And uh, in chapter six of EHS, Scazzaro reminds us that the command to keep the Sabbath was not given to some posh elite people group living in Wash Park. <laughs> this was given to former slaves, people who had known nothing but work their entire lives. Scazzaro says it this way, uh, Sabbath provides us with an additional uh, rhythm for an entire reorientation of our lives around the living God. On Sabbaths, we imitate God by stopping our work and resting. The very act of ceasing from work in the midst of all the surrounding nations was a sign of Israel's liberation by God. By the very act of refusing to succumb to the enormous pressure of Western culture around us, we too serve as a sign of a free people. My friends, whenever we start to feel restless, we must recover the rhythms of resistance. They're open to us. They're available to us today. And in Christ, it's so much more true for us than it ever could have been for Israel. We are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. 
In fact, watch this, we're so free that we don't even have to observe the Sabbath. <laughs> Colossians 2 and Hebrews chapter 4 make it quite clear that in Christ, the, the, the Sabbath was a shadow, a foreshadowing, a, a, a fate a forecoming of the great substance of rest that was ours to be found in Christ. Yet, this side of the cross and the resurrection, we're no longer obligated to keep the Sabbath. But I, what I want to argue and just kind of present before you this morning is that uh, it's, it's not a rule anymore. It's, it's a rhythm. It's not a requirement anymore. It is a rich resource of rest and renewal and resistance to the nonstop culture of our world around us. It's not a rule for my friends. Sabbath is a rhythm every seven days that reminds us that God is God and I am not. That because God stopped from his work, I too can stop. We don't have time today for me to convince you of what I'm arguing exegetically, but if you and I were to uh, pop by a prodigy coffee shop and uh, have some nice iced horchata lattes, how good are those? Uh, and we did a little Bible study and sat down. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I can convince you from Genesis to Revelation that Sabbath keeping is a timeless, universal, moral principle that is stitched into the very fabric of creation itself. I think I could convince you of that, but we don't have time this morning. So instead, my simple plea is simply this. Stop working and start resting. Stop doing and start being. And if you're unconvinced that uh, the Sabbath is something New Covenant believers should be bothering with in the first place, then indulge me with a little science experiment. I want you to go home, gather up all your electronics, turn them off. You know, these things, they actually have these little side buttons on here. And if you hold them down long enough, you can... It's amazing. Gen Z, you're welcome. It's crazy. And you can put it in a drawer or if you've got a lot of them, put them in a closet and wait for 24 hours. I promise you, few things in life will challenge you to be a more happy, Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus than that. And as someone who has tried this multiple times, week after week, and failed at it, Week after week, I just want to assure you that there's nothing quite like Sabbath. Few spiritual disciplines that I know of that actually cause us to resist the idols of our world around us more than this practice. Because week after week, the idols of our heart, my workaholism, my addiction to people's approval, my, my need to be needed, my need to be liked, my fear of missing out, all creeps to the surface of my heart. And yet I have to not work, but simply be with God. This is not an invitation for you to do more, my friends. This is an invitation to do less because Sabbath is hard, especially for you uh, parents of young kids in the room. I don't know how you got to church today, much less how you're going to do uh, Sabbath without Baby Shark or uh, what's the show everyone likes? Uh, Bluey the Whale. What's that? Yes, Coco Melly and Bluey, yes. Without that, I don't know how you're going to survive Sabbath, but uh, you can at least try it every seven days, because when we start to feel restless, that's a kind of a signal on the dashboard of our soul that we need to recover the rhythms of resistance. 
Uh, if you're interested in this whole Sabbath thing and you'd like to explore it further, um, you want to do it. You just don't know how to do it. I've actually printed off copies of the How to Unhurry Workbook by John Mark Comer. And uh, those are in the lobby available to pick up after service as a QR code as well. And highly recommend you looking at those. Uh, John Mark breaks down Sabbath into four very simple uh, steps that you actually will see in Exodus 20. Uh, number one, stop. Everybody say stop. stop. Number two, rest. Everyone say rest. Number three, delight. Everybody say delight. delight. And then last but not least, the whole point of Sabbath is to get us to a place where we can worship. Everybody say worship. worship. He gets some super helpful and practical tips on how to walk out this Sabbath practice, how to make it an accessible part of your everyday life on a weekly basis. And uh, my goodness, whether you're a college kid who's just burdened by exams, uh, maybe you're a nurse or a doctor who's constantly on call, uh, maybe you work in the trades or retail and you don't really have uh, a say over when your shifts are assigned, I really, really think uh, that that packet will help you and be a resource for you of how to make this a practical rhythm, not a rule, of your life. Uh, every seven days to take a real rest. Awesome. Everybody doing good? All right, rhythm number two. Let me see your twos. Let me see your twos. Rhythm number two, Daniel and fixed our prayer. Uh, you can flip forward in your Bibles 1,000 years later to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is the last of the major prophets in your Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, his book Lamentations, and Ezekiel. Then you'll find the book of Daniel chapter 6. Verses 10 through 13 reads, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunctions you have signed but makes his petition three times a day. In Daniel chapter six, we see that the prophet was doing what some scholars have come to call fixed hour prayer or what Schizero calls the daily office. Uh, the, def the best definition I've come across for fixed hour prayer is from a gal named Adele Alberg Calhoun, who wrote the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And she defines fixed hour prayer as this. Fixed hour prayer is regular and consistent patterns of attending to God throughout the day. Fixed hour prayer is regular and consistent patterns of attending to God throughout the day. And in Daniel chapter 6, that is exactly what Daniel is doing, attending to God three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And again, he isn't doing this in the best of circumstances. He is doing this in exile, in Babylon, not just an immigrant, but a captive carted off 400 miles from his homeland. 
And what's the most wild about this is that uh, he's not only a stranger in a strange land. Uh, most scholars believe that at this point in the story, Daniel is around 80 years old. He's not the young whippersnapper he once was, uh, refusing the king's meat and drink or refusing to bow the knee to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. No, no, no. He is an octogenarian who has been so formed, so habituated by a life of prayer that six decades later, after he's been carted off uh, under the oppress uh, oppressive regime of Persian and pagan kings, uh, he is willing to get down on his knees, throw open his windows, and pray to the God who saves three times a day. What an example for all of us. What kind of discipleship training must that have been for Daniel as a young person? What was it about his early childhood and his early formation that so habituated him to look toward Jerusalem 400 miles away and get down on his knee to pray three times a day? Lord, have mercy on our kids. As our kids and our teenagers live and breathe and make their being in a digital Babylon, May us as parents and mentors and youth directors and aunts and uncles and cousins and coaches and teachers have the audacity to pour into their soul, to pray for them. My, my friends, my parents in the room, keep doing the dinner devotions. Keep praying for your kids. I'm telling you, I am who I am today because of the prayers of Teresa Hambrick. I am who I am today because I had a father who understood that getting up to get in God's word was more important than getting the bread on the table for our family. I had a father and a mother who knew that being financial providers was less important than being godly parents. Do it for your kids. Pray for them. Keep playing the K-love in the car. I hate it. It's cheesy, but they need it because... The seeds you sow in their heart today will be the fruit that you eat later right. in life. I'm telling you, pray for your kids. We need them. And our digital Babylon and our constant noise and addiction to amusement and entertainment, we need a counter rhythm, a counter way of being in this world that habituates us uh, not towards accomplishment and accumulation and performance, but toward the very presence of God. That's the rhythm of resistance that we need. If Sabbath is a weekly rhythm, prayer, fixed hour prayer, the daily office is a daily rhythm. And rhythm may not even be the best word. Uh, maybe a better image for us this morning is this idea of an anchor. Believers throughout history and around the globe have seen prayer as an anchor that tethers our souls to God. In the turbulent storms of life, prayer is something that keeps our souls from drifting off into the sea of our emotions, our doubts, our fears, our insecurities. Prayer, as it were, uh, keeps our attention tied to God. And as the late great poet Mary Oliver once said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Amen. What we give our mind to matters. Let me ask you this morning, where's your attention? What's it going toward? Is it going toward God? Is it a Godward direction of your soul? Consume with the passion as, as, as our friend just said, that we, we want to fix our minds on God. Is it going somewhere else? In our hyperactive, virtual, virtually connected, digitally distracted day and age, prayer is hard to come by. 
but actually love what the accusers, these petty satraps and officials say in chapter 6, verse 13. They say, O king, uh, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. (laughs) I love that. I think we need to get a little Daniel deep down in our spirit. Whether it's our boss, whether it's uh, the news cycle, whether it's our responsibilities, it could be good things, not even bad things. But nothing should get my attention before God does. I want to give God my first fruits. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. This takes discipline. It's difficult, but I'm saying you can do it. When we start to feel restless, my friends, we must recover these rhythms of resistance. And I think we all know that we should pray more. I'm not here to do a guilt trip this morning. I'm very much on the journey (laughs) with you. Prayer is a struggle. The struggle is real. But I think even though we know we should pray, we we maybe even want to pray, we don't. Why is it that we struggle to pray? I'm just curious. Anybody have some thoughts on what keeps us from prayer? Sorry, go again. Too tired, fatigued. We're like the disciples. Jesus is like, couldn't you keep watch with me one hour? And we're snoozing, you know, 15 minutes in. That's real. I'm sorry, be loud and proud. Spiritual warfare, yeah, totally. Uh, we do not wager uh, war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual, spiritualities and principalities in, in, in the heavenly places. So yeah, there is a war for our soul, for our time, our attention, for sure. Any other thoughts? Feels boring. That's real. Yeah, totally. It's like we get there and it's like, okay, Hunter preached about this for like 30 minutes, but uh, it's not as entertaining as TikTok. So our mind goes elsewhere. Sherry? Distraction. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You don't know how to. Totally. That's the disciples' main request. Lord, teach us how to pray. Um, We have the desire, but we don't have uh, the structure or the direction. I think all of those are are great, great answers. Uh, The more I've thought about it and talked with some of you, I think all of those are right and true. But I basically think we don't pray because we don't have a proper image of the God we're praying to. I think most of us don't pray because we don't think that we actually deserve God's attention. (laughs) I think most of us are hesitant to enter into prayer because we're afraid of the big man upstairs that we might be talking to. Many of us, as Josh just said this morning in our pre-service prayer gathering, we think that uh, God is like Santa Claus. Uh, He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Uh, Some of us think of God as a cosmic police officer who's only out to get us and condemn us. But that is not the God of the Bible, my friends. That's not the God that Moses prayed to to part the seas. It's not the God that Joseph prayed to when he was in the middle of a pit and he knew that one day he would be brought forth in a palace. It's not the God that Daniel prayed to when he was in jeopardy of having not just himself, but all of his people exterminated. This is not the God that Esther in boldness said, if you don't move, God, our people will not be saved. This is not the God that Jesus said, hey, if you don't pray, even the rocks will cry out. This is the God who loves you, who forms you, who made you, who designed you, who looks at you and sees his son, Jesus, and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. I love you. I'm not ashamed of you. You have my attention. You have my affection. 
single most transformative practice in Hunter Hambrick's life over the past several years has uh, been this rocking chair. (laughs) Uh, Not every morning, but most mornings I wake up a little early and set my alarm on my phone for 10 to 15 minutes, nothing crazy. And I just sit in the presence of God. I'm uh, someone who likes to have my mind distracted. I'd much rather read my Bible and mark it up and highlight or listen to podcasts or those sort of things. But just simply sitting in the presence of God has done more to transform my heart and my mind and my soul than any amount of sermon listening or Bible study has in the past 10 years. And I'm all for sermons and Bible study, as you, you probably are well aware. But sitting in God's presence, soaking his love, receiving the Father's gaze through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit has transformed the way that I view myself, others, and the God that I serve. This is an invitation to something that we're going to fail at. We're going to fall down seven times and get up eight. I get distracted. Uh, I'll jot down a note. My mind will go off elsewhere, and that's okay. I don't beat myself up. I just simply bring my attention back to God because attention is the beginning of devotion. What I've learned is that much like Sabbath, uh, prayer is a muscle. It's kind of like if you ever go to the gym and you haven't been in a while, it's after the holidays, that January 1st feeling, feeling the love handles, you know, that extra, that extra plate of uh, banana pudding that you had at your in-law's house in Tennessee, hypothetically, you're feeling it get up under that squat rack and it's like, whoo, man, that's, they changed these. These are heavier. Then they or you get on the treadmill and you're like, okay, the altitude adjustment. I must have, Nebraska, man, I must have really adjusted when I was back home. Um, but prayer and Sabbath, are, they're like a muscle. You build it as you use it. And so it's okay to feel weak in these practices. There's no condemnation here. Uh, if you can't do a full 24 hours of Sabbath, my goodness, start with six. If you can't pray for 60 minutes, start with five. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Uh, That's what God wants for us because I promise you that if we will actually begin to start, as Tyler Staten says, that we will pray as we can, not as we can't. Uh, God wants the real you, (laughs) not the you you pretend to be. Show up as you actually are, and that's the only version of you that God really wants to bless anyways, and he wants to bless you. (laughs) He wants to bless you. He loves you more than you could pass possibly observed, uh, believe. Don't be ashamed when you get distracted, when you fail forward in these practices. Just bring your mind's eye back to God. See all of those distractions, all of that frustration, all of that performance, the kind of critic that Steve talked about a couple weeks ago in the back of your mind. See all of that as an invitation to follow Jesus in a new way. And I promise you, when you do, the promise that was given to the exiles will be true for you as well. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. When we start to feel restless, my friends, we must recover the rhythms of resistance. Uh, last but not least, you don't have to turn there in your Bibles this morning, but Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As we close, I want to take just 30 seconds or so, uh, no distractions or any of that. Um, Just take some time to consider that sentence on the screen behind me. But Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places 
and pray. Just take 30 seconds or so. Maybe you want to jot down a note on your phone or in your journal. Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. What comes to mind? What does that verse bring up for you? Maybe uh, over lunch today or on your drive home, you want to share with someone in your community group, somebody you're grabbing a bite to eat with, maybe going home. Uh, just what, what did this bring up for you? What, what would withdrawing to desolate places look like in your life? Uh, I think what it brings up for me is the fact that if Jesus needed to pray, I need to pray. <laughs> if the Lord of the Sabbath needed to rest, whoo, how much more do I need we don't have time to read Luke chapter 5, but my friends, this is in the middle of Jesus's rapid ascent of ministry. I mean, I'm talking, he's healing people like Benny Hinn, left and right, slain in the spirit. I mean, it is just amazing. Like deaf people are hearing, lame people are walking. Like this is the time to shine. This is the glow up, Jesus. Like, let's go crushing, breaking metrics and all the ministry barriers like nobody has ever seen in Galilee. And yet, Jesus doesn't lean in to that impulse. He resists it and withdraws to the Father because he knew that the source of his power was the site of his prayer. I wonder, my friends, if we experience so little power in the American church because we have such little prayerlessness in our souls. If we would get alone to be with God, we would actually have the deep-seated soul that's anchored in the rest and the love of Jesus that is required for a life of ministry and service in the kingdom of God. These rhythms of resistance, of Sabbath and, and prayer and silence and solitude anchor our soul in such a way that we can do ministry for the long haul. Like Jesus, we too can withdraw to lonely and desolate places because we know that Jesus experienced the greatest desolation on our behalf. On the cross of Jesus Christ, the Father forsook his Son so that we might never lose his presence. So now we can give God's attention because we have a guarantee in Jesus' blood that his attention will never be taken away from us. Unceasingly permanently, unrelentingly, unendingly. So whenever the world seeks to relocate us and dislodge us from this place of deep-seated soul rest, we can say, no, no, no. I am no longer a slave to the fears of accomplishment and accumulation and performance. I am a son or a daughter of the Most High King. I can recover the rhythms of resistance because I know whose I am and who I serve. Sabbath, fixed our prayer, my friends, are not just good ideas. They are anchors for souls adrift in Western culture. They hold us and they anchor us in a love that will never let us go. I want to invite the music team on stage and the prayer team forward as we close. And uh, if this message spoke to you at all, anyone on the prayer team would love to pray for you. Don't be embarrassed 
That's what they're here for, is to pray for you. Um, and as we're closing, and as they make their way up to the stage, you can tell I'm passionate about this stuff. There's lots and lots of material um, kind of swirling around in the world these days. Uh, but wanted to give just uh, four kind of recommended readings. Um, I think my clicker's failing. Caleb, if you want to advance the slide. Uh, if you're really interested in diving deeper in these concepts of Sabbath, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry is a book by John Mark Comer that I highly recommend. Uh, there's another book called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. that you may be interested in picking up really, really good resource. And then Prayer by the late, great Timothy Keller. The Lord took him from us in the month of May just this year. But that's the single best book on prayer I've read in my entire life. Um, and if you're interested, uh, I have copies of these, by the way, if you want to uh, borrow from the Hunter Hambrick Theological Library. You're welcome to do that after service. Uh, but the last one that I would actually recommend the most is uh, the practice of the presence of God. It's a lot thinner uh, than the other ones. Um, and it's written by a guy named Brother Lawrence, who was a Parisian monk in France uh, in the 16th century. And like most of us, he wasn't kind of official clergy. He was actually a dishwasher. <laughs> He served in the kitchen in the monastery, and they said that everyone would go to pray with Brother Lawrence because that man would scrub dishes and experience the manifest presence of God. And I think it's a deep encouragement for all of us, especially those of you who work like real jobs, not fake jobs like being a pastor like me. Uh, you're actually out there in the real world and uh, getting it done day to day, and it can be hard uh, to feel like you can practice God's presence. And uh, I think this book and others like it will be a great resource. Uh, if you're able, please stand with me. Uh, the music team will lead us in a final song this morning, and the prayer team is available down front. And I uh, just kind of want to leave you with the final word that uh, these practices of Sabbath and fixed hour prayer, these are, these are process moments, not breakthrough moments. Uh, we believe in a supernatural God who can show up and show out in any given moment, and he can change your life on the spot. And we pray for that. We pray that God would bring true life change in our lives uh, at a minute's notice, in an instant. He would do in a moment what we could never do in a decade of therapy and prayer and all of these sort of things. But what I've come to know to be true about Sabbath and prayer is that uh, these aren't breakthrough moments. These are process moments. Uh, much like me, uh, learning the rhythm of playing guitar, these are things that happen slowly over time. But week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, if we keep pursuing God down this rhythm of resistance, we'll wake up one day as old as Daniel, ready not to kneel our knees to uh, Nebuchadnezzar or the kings and queens of Babylon. Instead, we will have lives that are anchored in the rest that's only found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we turn our hearts to God this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that you were uh, nearer than our own breath, that you are closer to us than our closest, closest friends or our own thoughts. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray uh, that you would take this word this morning and you would lodge it deep down into our hearts, into our souls, Lord, that we would know that in Christ we have Sabbath rest 
that in Christ we have unmediated access to the God who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And so if anyone in this room this morning, God, is struggling under the weight of how do I pay the bills? How do I do it all? Uh, Oh, the workload is overwhelming, Lord. Would they not give in to that pressure? Instead, would they pull back into your presence? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to to heal us, to make us new, uh, to, to heal up the wounds that bind us, the shame that binds us, Lord, and that we would know that who the Son sets free is free indeed. So we are free, Father God, to live a counter narrative from the pressures of our world around us. We are free, Father God, to rest in your presence, to feel your embrace, knowing that because it is finished on the cross, Lord Jesus, there is no more work to be done. We love you, Lord. Would that love change our hearts and shape our longings so that we can be a free people, your presence in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.